Amen. So, Psalm 45 is a, uh, a pretty awesome psalm, and it's it's a messianic psalm, and it depicts a a wedding, a royal wedding. And uh, as we're reading through, you'll see uh, what it's speaking of. It's speaking of Christ, the bridegroom, and near the end, the focus shifts on the bride, the church, the bride of, of Christ. Now, uh, there are some will say, well, the bride of Christ, that, that theme is not brought up in the Scripture. And it is. Uh, here it is right here. You know, when uh, you consider what we're what we're reading the uh, sons of Korah wrote this and uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to uh, to write a song to the Lord and as they did they were prophesying they were they were speaking of the coming Messiah and uh, what he would do and uh, the bride to come uh, and so we uh, we have quite a bit to cover but uh it's good stuff. good stuff. There's a lot in here. I encourage you when you go home to study this on your own also. Grab your, your Bible, sit down, pray, open it up and read through it slowly. Uh, you know, grab a, a commentary if you need to, you know, if that's something. Um, I love commentaries, but I've, I've also found that I really enjoy just being in the scriptures by myself. Um, when I need some explanation for things or I need some, you know, people that have designated their lives, dedicated their lives, I should say, to studying the word, you know, they were, you know, doctorate degrees, all those things. Those are great, but the Lord can speak to us more powerfully than any human can. Not that there's no place for them. Uh, sometimes it's great to sit down and go, oh, hey, I didn't know that. You know, all those things. But um, I would encourage you to use a a commentary to help bring you a better understanding, but sometimes we can get too caught up in a commentary, and uh, we just sometimes need to sit quietly at the feet of the Lord and read his word and see what he has to say. Uh, so there's just an encouragement there. But um, So this, uh, this is uh, speaking of the glories of the Messiah and his bride. And uh, speaking of Jesus Christ as the royal bridegroom. Let's pray. Verse... Before we, uh, before we get into this, God, we uh, pray that you of Korah, a, son, uh, a song of love. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured out upon your, is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. So, backing up uh, to the beginning of the verses we just read, it says that uh, describes this as a song of love. This is uh, quite a love song, uh, speaking of the Messiah and his bride, which is the church. Some, uh, as I mentioned, will say that the, the bride of Christ is never mentioned. And uh, when you look here, my question is, who else would the bride be? Uh, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't married uh, when he walked on the face of the earth, no matter what the History Channel will tell you. Um, I, I saw that before, and I've seen that on there, that somehow he came back and then got married and had a family and went about. The, that's that's a lie out of hell. Um, if it contradicts the Scripture, um, then I'm going to stick with the Scripture every time. And I encourage you to do the same, that uh, that the scripture, uh, the Scriptures are the authority in our lives. Uh, not not you know, Time Magazine, not uh, the History Channel, any of those things. They uh, take a lot of liberties, and um, I don't know where they're getting their doctrine, but uh, stuff like that is not mentioned in the Scripture anywhere. The Bride of Christ is the only ones it could be, would be the, the only one it could be is the Church, the Redeemed. So we see as before they as they're starting the song that they're they're uh, their hearts are stirred to sing and co to compose a song I've shared with you. I have often uh, had the desire to write a song. Um, it's never come to fruition. I've never I've written a song and it was kind of awful, you know. And I send it to Eric Mitchell. I'm like, hey, check this out and everything, and he's encouraged me everything, but. 
I like I'm not singing that in front of anybody. You know, it became you know, that. So these guys here, we see that David wrote a majority of the Psalms, right? And the sons of Korah, you'll see there, or you'll just see that there's no uh, no author given on some of them. Those are people, musicians, that their hearts were stirred, and when they were stirred, their gift is writing songs. That's what their gift was. And uh, so as they're writing these things, uh, they are, the Lord is, is, is actually with this one here, uh, and as we see uh, any of them that they write, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they write. And then as the, the Bible itself was... Uh, getting uh, put together and everything, they the, the scholars realized, wait a minute, this is more than just a song. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, when you're talking about uh, the scriptures being canonized and those things and, and the, the whole process that came in, this didn't come together by accident. You know, the Lord poured it on these people's hearts. And when they say, they're explaining here that my heart is overflowing with a good theme. Their hearts are stirred, and as their hearts are stirred, as musicians, what they did was they wrote songs. So we get to study what they wrote and how the Lord spoke to them and what he speaks to us through their songs. You know, we uh, uh, we spoke a little bit about it this morning. We're not all given the same the same gifts. You know, we could get to the point where we will covet somebody else's gift uh, so much so that it's overwhelming us. You know, I, I, oh, if I had that voice, if I had that playing ability, if I had that speaking ability, if I had this, 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 or this, then everything would be right, you know, and those things. No, the Lord gives us what he wants us to have, and we use what he's given us to glorify him with, with whatever that is, whatever gift he's given us. And uh, so when we see what these guys are doing, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. This is the gift they've been given. And they're writing, as their heart is overflowing with a good theme, it says, I recite my composition concerning my king, uh, concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You know, their tongues are ready to praise God. And as we should, the same. You know, we these songs that we sang today are all written by other people. They, uh, um, you know, the first one, uh, as you guys know, that was uh, our brother Eric uh, Mitchell wrote that as he was inspired by a song, you know. So we sing, you know, Jesus reigns, and we we go through that, and uh, we uh, can can lift our voices, and that our tongue. Now we we spoke of it very briefly this morning. That uh, the tongue, uh, to be able to tame the tongue, is uh, you know, James is saying, if somebody's able to tame his tongue, then He's got it set. He's got it made in his life. Because out of the abundance of, of, the, of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And we can do really bad with our tongue. And we can say things that are uh, that tear people down or set a forest fire. Uh, if you, That's how James describes it in, in James, uh, in the book of James, uh, James 3, when uh, he's describing the, the raging fire that can come from what we say. And you guys have witnessed that in your life, I'm sure, right? Whether we were the ones that started it or we were uh, just the ones that heard it or the ones that it was about, whatever it was. It spreads like wildfire, right? This here is the proper use for our tongue to praise our God. So as our heart is stirred, where it says concerning my king, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. It's ready to go. Verse 2 says, you are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Now, when it says you are fairer than the sons of men, speaking of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53, verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire. This speaking of Jesus, that he wasn't walking around as, as the guy that the modeling agencies are going to be like, we need this guy. He's an average-looking guy. No form or comeliness that everybody would look and be in awe, like there's the Messiah, that he's the perfect-looking one. This, this says in Isaiah, that as Isaiah was prophesying, there was nothing that would draw you to him uh, physically, that Jesus Christ was very much maybe an average-looking person. 
And I mean, when you see the pictures of him, you know, and he's got the shine coming off his face and he's glowing or whatever as he's just, I don't know, looking over the waters or whatever. Um, you know, just that, that chiseled face and everything like that. I'll take Isaiah's description over, uh, you know, the depiction of, of uh, men with a, with a you know, painting palette and uh, putting together what they would perceive. But what this tells us is there is nothing that we would look at and desire uh, Christ based on his, his, his outward appearance. So when this says that he's fairer than the sons of men, this is speaking of the beauty of his character, of who Jesus Christ is. That's what it's, it's speaking of, his character, his words, his works. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Whom having not seen, speaking of Jesus, uh, he says, Whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Speaking of us, we've never slayed eyes on Jesus Christ. We've never been able to physically see him. But what Peter is describing there is even though we, we haven't seen him, we love him. Why do we love him? Because we've learned of his character, that he, he is God in the flesh. So he has that, that character of love. That We even talked about that this morning. Right, it's, it's neat that this comes together with John 21, where the Lord was speaking to Peter, asking Peter, "Do you love me? Do you love me? You know that? Do you love me with that agape love? Do you have that agape that that God love for me?" And what was Peter's response? "I love you like a brother." You know, Peter had been brought down a couple pegs. You know, before he's like, I'm better than everybody and everybody else can, you know, deny you and everything. I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. Anything like that. But uh, when when Christ is restoring him, he asks the question, do you agape me, that highest form of love, God's love? And Peter could only say, you know, I love you like a brother. You know, there was that that change in Peter when that fall in Peter's life, it, it had to have taught him. And uh, that confidence, of that self-confidence that he had, you know, that we'll call it pride, um, that, that Peter had. Very strong and prideful man. And uh, he was at the point where he said, you know what, I'm gonna, you know that I love you, Lord. You know all things, you know that I love you. And that's where he settled it. And he was doing everything that he could to express that with the Lord without making a, a bold claim that he couldn't back up. You know, he already did he already that did once, that. and I'm sure Peter didn't want to do that again in his life after what had happened. So, but I love that there when it says that he's fairer uh, than, than uh, the sons of men, that, that the character of Christ, of who he is, would be the, the, the thing that draws us to him, understanding who he is, and just... I'm, I'm always amazed at, at and I've, I've shared it in, in this light because I love music. I've always liked music. I, I, I always explain to these guys, like, I, I play the guitar. I'm not a guitarist, you know, and I always say I sing, but I'm not a true, like, vocalist that, you know, and, and uh, recording art. Just, but I, whatever I got, I'm going to use it for the Lord. And uh, that's that's an encouragement to, to any of us. But... When we, I just totally got, I forgot where I was going with that. It must be Sunday night, right? Um, I don't know why I said all that, but I was going somewhere with it, and it just totally slipped my mind. So um, just that, that that we would use what we have to bless God. I'm just going to say that because I have no idea where I was going with that, and I apologize. So, But it says that grace is on his lips and spoke forth. Uh, and what I like on that is uh, that it says... Um, Grace, Grace is poured upon, is poured upon your, lips, your lips, therefore God has God blessed you forever. You know, Grace, Grace is on his lips and spoken forth into our lives. When you know that that, that Grace that would have been poured on his lips. If you, uh, you're probably going to uh, be as blessed at this as I was. But um, Luke forty four twenty two is going to come up. And this is uh, quite a quite a statement. Luke four twenty two says, "So all bore witness of him, Jesus, and marvelled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, that they said, Is this not Joseph's son?'" The thing that the crowd was marveling at, hearing Jesus speak, was the gracious words that he was speaking. The gracious words. 
I was, uh, uh, I think it was last night, I was just putting together some notes, and I looked at Jen, and I'm like, my mind is blown right now. You know, because you can look all the way back in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, and people were amazed at the graciousness that was coming off of the lips of Christ. You know, there was, uh, it was grace and not condemnation. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are gracious words to hear. These people weren't used to. So when they heard Jesus speaking the way he did and the gracious words that came out of his mouth, they're going, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter? You know, and they're, they're, they're amazed at how Jesus is speaking and the grace that's coming out off his lips. It's grace and not condemnation. This crowd was so used to extra biblical traditions, laws, and regulations. You got to do this. You can't do this. You have to, you know, all those things that were just burdening them, right? Those burdens. And when Jesus cried out in Matthew 11, he's like, come to me, you who are burdened. Heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I rest for your souls, right? Rest for your soul. He's not talking about someone who's, you know, carrying a pallet of bricks, you know, anything like that. He's talking about the weight that we carry on our souls. Those gracious words that that our Lord would say. Oh, he's so gracious, so loving. Verse three: Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one. With your glory and your majesty, and in your majesty ride prosperously because of grace, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. So that sword that's being talked of. You know, we, we just looked at uh, Jesus being very gracious, very tender. If you consider Isaiah 42, verse 3, and you will understand how tender the Lord can be with our hearts. Uh, Isaiah 42, verse 3, I should say. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flask he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. That bruised reed, that, that reed that's just ready to snap, right? The smoking flask, you know, that, 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 how tender those are, that he's, that he's not going to, uh, to quench that. He's so tender. He can be so gracious and tender, but this is talking about gird your sword on your thigh. So we have a, 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 a Messiah, a Savior, that can be so tender and, and minister gracious words to us and not crush our lives when we are so weak, right? But he's also a mighty warrior with his word, which is, uh, is quite powerful when we're reading his word, that his word goes out. Remember, we, uh, we'd even, uh, I think we prayed or I said it, his word is powerful, alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I know you guys are familiar with that. I've probably, you know, said it to you, I don't know, countless times that we're, we're familiar with. And those are scriptures we want to be familiar with. Mighty warrior with his word. So he could speak graciously. He could speak with authority. There, was, there were times in the gospel accounts, even in John, as we studied, that they were like, we've never heard somebody speak with this type of authority. I'm paraphrasing there. That, that he spoke with authority, not as the scribes would teach, right? That he had the authority because he was the word of God. The word made flesh. So when he spoke, he can speak whatever he wants to. And as he speaks it, it's going to be powerful. John chapter 7, verse 46, the officers that were sent away to get Jesus, remember, they were sent away to, to gather Jesus for the religious leaders. They came back and they got ridiculed by the religious leaders. Now, what did you do? Did you get to see by him too? What was their, their response? No man ever spoke like this man. Be very gracious, very tender, but he also spoke with such an authority that nobody could speak against him. They were always speechless against him. They couldn't figure out a way to beat him, right? They would try. They'd have all these things and these things in, in play to try to, okay, we're going to get him on this one, and then he could never get him. They just couldn't corner him. They're not going to beat God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Having disarmed, di di sorry, speaking of Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant over them in it. 
We're speaking of, of the sword that the Lord would would bear. Revelation 11.15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus Christ came the first time to be the suffering servant. He suffered and died for us. He had a lot to share, a lot to teach us in his first time coming. When he comes again, there's nobody that's going to be mocking. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That girding your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one. Look at that, verse 3. O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. You know, remember, when Jesus was being beaten, we just studied this on Sunday morning, being beaten. And what did they do? Blindfolded him, right? They pounded the, the crown of thorns in his uh, into his skull. And they're beating him, blindfolded, and they're punching him, saying, prophesy, who hit you? You know, and they're spitting in his face and ripped out his beard. The things that he went through, all those things, the suffering servant, not going to happen the next time. No, when he comes again, he's coming to rule and reign. If you would turn with me to Revelation 19. We're actually going to read verses 11 through 21, and then later we're going to read 1 through 10. When verse 3 is talking about Jesus Christ being the mighty one, that's... Uh, it's a good, a good chance for us to turn to Revelation 19 and see what mighty one means, who he is. Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head... Uh, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Our mighty king. You know, when you consider they put on a robe, right? They mocked him. They made a mockery of who he was. And they, they brought him up. Remember Pilate? After they pounded on him. They beat him to a pulp where it says his visage was marred beyond recognition. That you couldn't even recognize who he was. So when he brought him out, Pilate had to say, behold the man, right? This is this is the one. This is him. The one that you said you wanted over Barabbas being. You wanted crucified over Barabbas, who was a murderer, an insurrectionist, and a thief. You wanted this one, and this is the one, right? He had been, they, they had put this garment on him, and they, they had mocked him and everything. Look where he stands in Revelation 19. 
that is a that powerful, is powerful, uh, powerful op uh, opposite view of who he is, where it describes him in verse 16 as the king of kings and lord of lords. Remember when the, when the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate, they said, well, he says he's the king of the Jews, right? And Pilate, the, the questions start getting asked, are you a king? And they go through that whole conversation. He is a king. He's a king of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we look in, in verse 3 of, of Psalm 45, when it says, Gird your sword upon your thigh, what did it say about this? his sword would go out and cut people right down? His words, what he says. Right? You remember in, in uh, I think it's Acts chapter 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. When they come and they uh, they want to deceive, right? There was the uh, they they wanted to act like they were doing what everybody else was doing, right? And they came in and they they said that they uh, oh yeah well we're we're coming and, and they could have just said hey we're gonna give hundred bucks or whatever and Peter said that to them. What they did is they came in and they acted like they were giving all of whatever they had gained, but they had kept some back. And Peter's like, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? What are you doing? You know, couldn't couldn't you have just done what you wanted to? But here you are. And 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 what they said was what condemned them and what they did, right? What we say, those, those things, you got to be very careful what we say. But just the power, when, when Peter said that they were going to die, they died. Because that was coming from God. That was the Holy Spirit doing that. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? The words that came out. And, and as they, they, as Peter spoke those words, they breathed their last. Right? First, first the, the husband and then the wife comes and, and she's right along. Uh, and uh, she goes along the same thing. Oh, mighty one. Oh, mighty one. With your glory and your majesty. Verse 4, and in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Now, truth, when it says here, uh, in your majesty ride prosperously. Um, Spurgeon uh, said, that, uh, said this. This was pretty cool. He envisioned a king Jesus riding on a chariot pulled by three horses. And this is what he had to say. These words may be rendered. Ride forth upon truth and meekness and righteousness. Three noble chargers to draw the war chariot of the gospel. I was like, whoa, copy, paste. You know, I had to, I'm going to read that again. This is what Spurgeon had to say as he imagined Jesus riding on a chariot pulled by three horses. That's that's. He's just saying, if, if, if you were to put this into into that, what he's saying is those three that would be where it says um, in in verse 4, where it says ride prosperously because of, prosperously, I should say, because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And he's saying that uh, these words may be rendered. Ride forth upon truth and meekness and righteousness. The three noble chargers to draw the war chariot of the gospel. The war chariot of the gospel. The gospel of good news, right? That the good news would be spread through truth, humility, and righteousness. You know, there have been movements of men that would force people into submission, right? You think of the Nazi Germany was just, we're forcing you to do, or they just killed people, right? There were, there were so many kingdoms that were built upon Forcing people and and into uh, submission. You know the way the Lord builds His kingdom is by drawing us by His love to the cross. And then we we as we're as that's being, uh, you know, as we are are confronted with truth, humility, and righteousness. You know, if we have the proper approach to that, we come to salvation. We understand who God is and that He loves us. I love that word. He, he said the war chariot of the gospel. The war for the hearts of men and women that are lost. Oh, I love it. His, he is truth. Jesus said that in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you consider the humility that Jesus lived, his life, uh, and... and um, used as an example and showed us uh, 
humility. He you know, rode in on a cult, cult of a donkey. You know, you know, when that happened, we uh, we talked about. You know, most kings are going to have the trumpets, and they're going to have everything, and they're going to have the the biggest, strongest, best-looking horse. I used to work at a horse farm, and I have seen horses that are absolutely majestic. They are; I mean, these are literally world champion horses. You know, and uh, when I would see them and how muscular they were and everything, I'm like, wow. You know, that these type of horses, these show horses, they're they're built perfectly, and they can you can do all the whatever they've got to do perfectly. That's what a king would want. The king of kings came in riding on the colt of a donkey in humility. Greatest example of humility. What did he do to his disciples' feet? Those dirty feet showed them that that lesson in humility to wash their feet. If you haven't seen Jesus' revolution, go watch it. And, and what a, what a powerful uh, way for Chuck Smith as the Holy Spirit ministered to his heart. And and he's getting a lot of flack from his church. He's, oh, they're going to ruin the rugs and everything. The next scene shows them you know, a whole line of people coming in. And Chuck's sitting there washing the hippies' feet as they're walking into church. Right? You know what? I don't care about the rug. You come on in and receive the gospel. He, he did that, he did no, that doubt. no doubt. The Holy Spirit spoke right to him. And it says of righteousness. There was no sin in Jesus' life. He could be uh, accused of because they'd have to make up stories of, of Jesus sinning. The, the biggest thing they could come up with that, uh, that he should die was that he was healing people and raising people from the dead on the Sabbath. Yeah, right? And we've talked about that, that Jesus confronted them straight up saying, it says right in the law that you can help, and it does. You know your neighbor's uh, you know, a donkey's uh, in the ditch or whatever. You get it out so they don't lose. The donkey doesn't lose its life, and that, that helps for the livelihood. You can do right and do good on the, uh, on the Sabbath. You know, Jesus had to school them on that. Truth, humility, and righteousness. He's the ultimate example of all three of them. Then it says your right hand, and speaking of the right hand, when you speak of the right hand, it spoke of strength and skill, and it's uh, it's this is really a tough thing. Um, I'll I'll be honest that as I'm going through this to to try to speak on this, when you talk about Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, your right hand will teach you awesome things, like that Jesus would be taught something. But when you consider what Jesus would have been taught scripturally, Hebrews 5.8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. When we consider what would he have learned, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That's what Jesus Christ learned. I mean, can, let, try to let, wrap your mind around that. That God learned obedience based on the things that he suffered. Verse 5. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. So it's now we talked about the sword and now we're uh, discussing arrows. Many weapons here. Now for the lost, if you consider the arrow, what is the arrow do you know if you consider the arrow to be the gospel acts 2, two verse 37 now when they had heard this of they when they heard peter's preaching when they had heard this they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do that's the lost response to the the if you the dart the arrow of god you know, the sword of God piercing our hearts, the arrow that might be shot out. If you consider to the lost that hear the gospel and uh, are being drawn in by it, it's going to, to cut our hearts and ask, okay, now what do I do? You know, what do I do now? Remember uh, when Philip was, was brought to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, right? And uh, the spirit led him there and he accepts the gospel and he's like, what prevents me from being baptized now? Nothing. Let's do it. You know, they jump down and he baptizes them. When the Lord does a work and people ask those questions, the door's never going to be more open. 
Okay, if you anybody in here ever played even just soft toss basket, uh, uh, softball like in backyard, you know, wiffle ball or anything, if you've ever played that, this is soft toss. This is as easy. This is tee ball. Okay, like you put the ball on the tee and you just crank it. Right. I always found it harder to do that than to hit a pitch when I was a kid. I'm like, get this thing out of here. I just want I want to be able to watch this come in and, and hit it. Right. That's as easy as it's going to get. We see like the, the garage doors just plowed right open whatever it is, and God's made this, because we might pray for doors to be open when someone approaches us and they say, hey, uh, you know, what can I do to be saved? You know, I, I was blessed here, and, and uh, uh, I'm going to embarrass Shane here, but Shane shared this story with me. He, some young guy comes up and says that he's got a medical condition. He's like, what? We need to talk about eternity right now. That was his response. Like, right now, we're not wasting any time. We're getting right to the most important thing. I don't care about your... I do care about... I'm sure he does care about the medical condition. But I don't know you that well, but we're talking about eternity right now. That's the approach we need to have. The Holy Spirit ministered to his heart, and boom, it came right out. God blew the doors open. And when he does, and that question's asked, plow right through. You know, and, and if it costs us a relationship, sorry, the door was wide. You asked me, you know. But usually what we see there is those hearts were cut. They were, they were cut perfectly. And they're like, what do I do to heal? Oh, let me tell you. You know, the Lord's just like here, you know. But then you can hear when, when the enemies are being pierced. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they, when, now, this is at Peter's, uh, sorry, this is Stephen's. Um, uh, really, he just goes for a, a sermon for the ages, you know. And, and Stephen stands boldly. And we know that it cost him his life. And uh, that he saw the Lord. And so it wasn't like, like at that point, regretful. No, he knew he was going to Jesus. But he preached a bark off of them is really what he did. And he really did. And, uh, and what happens with them? So there's the, the lost response as the, they hear the gospel and the Lord has prepared their heart. The, the response is, I'm cut to the heart. What do I do? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, right? That's what, what, what uh, Peter said to them. The enemies of the Lord. That's what it's speaking of in verse 5. For your arrows are sharp uh, in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. The enemies. Uh, Acts chapter 7 verse 54 says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. There's the difference. There's the difference. Those that are going to come to the faith and then those who are greatly opposed to the faith. You see the difference, right? Those that the arrows are sharp in the, in the heart of the king's enemies, it's talking about them. Right there. That when they hear the gospel, they're just enraged and the murder just grows in their hearts. And then they'll sometimes even move into that. So when you're considering verse 5, consider Acts chapter 7 verse 54. This is a, 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 uh, a wonderful thing here. Uh, verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more uh, than your companions. Who else could that be speaking of than Jesus Christ? Verse 8, all your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad, king's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Your throne, O God, uh, is, this is, remember, a messianic psalm. I wanted to share something in my study that I, I came across with, uh, from Warren Wearsby. He says, who else has an eternal throne, a righteous scepter, gladness, and the fragrance of grace and glory? If you know the king, you share all his bounties. I'm going to read that one more time. Who else has an eternal throne, a righteous scepter, gladness, and the fragrance of grace and glory? If you know the king, you share all his bounties. Warren Wearsby. That was another copy paste type thing. You know, as I'm reading, I read that. I'm like, oh man, I got to share that one. Who else would it be that would you know your 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 throne is forever, your scepter of righteousness. 
the kingdom of righteousness, that you love righteousness. God is love, that he loves the he loves rightness. He loves rightness. He loves the thing that is right and he hates the thing that is wrong. Right. Dishonest scales. Remember that scripture that the Lord hates the uh, uh, Psalms. Uh, I'm sorry. In Proverbs, uh, Solomon said that God hates dishonest scales because it's a lie. He does not like those things. Those are those are things that he hates. He hates wickedness. This is our righteous God. Verse 10. Listen, O daughter, consider, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you. With gladness and rejoicing, they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Instead of your fathers uh, shall be your sons whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and ever. So we go from explaining who Jesus is and, and the, the praising of, of Jesus in the in Psalm, the Messiah in Psalm 45. Now the focus shifts in verse 10 to the bride. And it's speaking of a bride for Christ. That he would desire, where it says in verse 11, so the king will greatly desire your, your beauty. The beauty of the redeemed. That beauty comes from the Lord, right? The beauty that we have. Because you'll, you'll, you might remember where uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah said that our righteousness uh, is as filthy rags, you know, where we could say, hey, what might be beautiful about my life? Uh, outside of Christ is as filthy rags. There's nothing that we can bring, but what God brings to us, well, how he clothes us. And it describes that very intricate and very beautiful clothing that's listed here, the garments from the king. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be made joyful. I shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That God has clothed us with the garments of salvation and covered us with the robe of righteousness. His bride, his church, I love that covered with garments of salvation and clothed in the robe of righteous, his righteousness, not our own righteousness, of his righteousness. Job chapter 29 verse 14 says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban, that, that righteousness that comes from God, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9 says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of which is from God by faith. You know that that uh, I count everything else gone that I that it, as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, uh, not having my own righteousness. I love that it says that which is from the law, but that which is uh, through faith in Christ. That righteousness to be clothed in uh, comes from Christ. 
We're about to read this too, but Revelation 19 verse 8 says, And to her, the, the bride of Christ, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's a, a glorious thing. Remember, in verse 2, where Jesus, uh, where they're speaking of Jesus and says he's the fairest, where it's talking about his character, his words, and his works. And this is saying the righteous acts of the saints. That we should act in righteousness, right? As God is changing, as he's pouring his spirit into us, and, and that, that would flow out of us and produce righteous acts that would bless him and, and draw others to him. I love here that it's talking of entering the king's palace in verse 15. It says, with gladness, fathers, uh, oh, sorry, with gladness and rejoicing, you shall be brought. Uh, they shall enter the king's palace. If you would turn back to Revelation, I told you guys we would, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the world with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his saints shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great, great multitude and the, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord, our Lord God omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has, has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous act of, acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, see that you do not do that. I am a fellow servant and of your brethren who... Uh, uh, who have uh, the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We need to look forward to this. Look at verse 7 where it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. We keep on going to 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. Saints changed by Jesus Christ. You know, if there's the question of who is the bride of Christ, the church, it says right there. You know, go to go to Psalm 45 and, and come here, uh, turn to Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8, and you're going to see that. We can we can rest knowing that. That, you know, there there is a room. You know, there's a we have there's always a the funny conversation, right? From Ephesians 5. You know, so any 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 students of the scripture, when you hear Ephesians five, uh, and then you get to verse twenty-two, right? Twenty-two is talking about wives submitting to their husbands, as, you know, as to the Lord, right? And we'll hear that, and I, you know, there's there's usually some laughter and everything like that. It should be easy, right? Because men should be following the example of our God, our King, and being 
as he is to our wives. So it should be easy and it should be a blessing for them to submit themselves to the leadership of the man in the in the marriage. That Those two things should come perfectly, right? As we're both submitted under the lordship of Christ. That we would learn from our bridegroom who he is and how we conduct ourselves. You know, I, when we can look back, any that are married here, look back on your wedding day. You know, that's a, that's a beautiful day, right? That's a beautiful day where those two are brought together. We have a beautiful day that's going to surpass that. I know that's a special day for all of us. I'm not saying we can't celebrate that or anything. Any of us that are married, that, that time. But there, there is a wedding coming when you can read of all the junk that was taken care of. And, and all of this, you know, the blood of the saints being avenged, all that stuff. And then we hear of being, let us, re, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. That's what we have to look forward to. You know, our king. That's, that's oh, <laughs> guys, that we have this, that we have this living hope to do that, that we have something to look forward to. I, um. I saw one of the kids wrote at the school and uh, there's this, there's this, this app that's uh, completely anonymous called Yik Yak. Okay. So because it's now anonymous, kids will get on there and they'll say whatever they want because nobody knows who's who, right? It just gives you a little symbol, like a little, um, uh, a little uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex or a piece of broccoli or whatever. And they'll say whatever they want. And one kid said, the question was, he goes, he goes, I wish there was a way to know what really happens after life. The first response was Bible. The poster's response to that was lies, right? This is a young kid that doesn't know the scriptures. He has nothing to look forward to. And he's asking, and some faithful servant goes, Bible. <laughs> That's all they said, Bible. And what was the response? Daniel, I remember, Daniel has shared with me, the Lord's using him to minister. I don't mean to embarrass you, man. But uh, uh, Daniel, uh, as he's uh, at uh, HCTC, and uh, he's like being able to share some biblical principles with somebody. And they're arguing, saying, no, 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 no. And then watching, and he says, he's saying, and it might, he might just be the guy planting some seeds or watering the seeds or whatever it is. But just to hear that at first they were like, Shh, whatever, and now they're asking questions and they're interested in hearing. Then they have something to look forward to, right? This world right now in the heart of all of us is the need to know God. We never have to question whether somebody thinks they need to know God or not because they do. That's, that is placed in there. Did they cover that up? Did they fill that, try to fill it with other things? Yes, that's. That's what we all did before we came to Christ is I'm going to pound in this, this, and this. This is what's going to make me happy. This is what's going to fulfill me. No, it's God. It's our bridegroom. That's what our heart longs for. Just like a wife longs for the husband, our hearts long for, for Christ as our bridegroom. Amen? Amen. And we have that to look forward to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have hope in you. Oh, God, we look forward to what we just read in Revelation 19. We thank you, Lord, that you array us so uh, in, in, in such a beautiful and loving way. Oh, God, that your righteousness is what clothes us, changes us, and that we can please you. Uh, praise your name, Lord, for who you are and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. Have a great week.